0: I would like to preach from the subject Guidelines for a Constructive Church. Over the last several weeks now, we've been reading a good deal in our newspapers about guidelines. Now this word has been applied basically to the public school systems across our nation, particularly in the South, the Supreme Court of our nation rendered a decision back in 1954 declaring segregation in the public schools unconstitutional. And that next year, in 1955, it came back stating that every school district was to integrate With all deliberate
1: speed. With all deliberate speed. My name is Lamar Hardwick. I'm a husband, father of three pastor, scholar, author, and all-around avid reader and lover of all things culture. And in 2014, at the age of 36 years old, I was diagnosed with autism. This is the Autism Pastor Podcast, where we discuss all things culture, politics, faith, religion, and spirituality all through the lens of someone loving, learning, and living while on the autism spectrum. Welcome to the Autism Pastor Podcast. Hey, this is Lamar. And if you haven't heard about Anchor, all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.
0: And yet we came into 1966 with a terrible realization that only 5.2% of the Negro students of the South had been placed in integrated schools, which meant in substance that we had made 1% progress a year. And if it continued at that pace, it would take another 96 years to integrate the public schools of the South.
1: June 5th, 1978, in Colleen, Texas, in a military hospital, I was born. June 5th, 1978. Just 42 years ago, I don't remember much about Colleen. My family was a military family, so we moved around a lot. Before I was old enough to consciously store memories of the place of my birth, we were gone to another city, to another state. For our family, like many other military families, a rapid pace was the price for our patriotism. June 5th, 1978, exactly 12 years to the day after Dr. King's sermon at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, close to where I now call home. On June 5th, 1968, just 12 years before I was born, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preached a sermon entitled Guidelines for a Constructive Church. The sermon was powerful. It was informative. It was absolutely inspirational. What arrested my attention, however, was its introduction. Here's a transcript. Over the last several weeks now, we've been reading a good deal in our newspapers about guidelines. Now, this word has been applied basically to the public school systems across our nation particularly in the South. The Supreme Court of our nation rendered a decision back in 1954, declaring segregation in the public schools unconstitutional. And that next year in 1955, it came back stating that every school district was to integrate with all deliberate speed. And yet we came into 1966 with a terrible realization that only 5.2% of the Negro students of the South had been placed in integrated schools, which meant, in substance, that we haven't made 1% progress a year. And if that continued at that pace, it would take another 96 years to integrate the public schools of the South. Less than 1% progress a year. Less than 1% progress a year. Dr. King is preaching a sermon on June 5th, 1966 using as an introduction data that showed the continual disparities in education 12 years after the supreme court the highest court in our nation rendered a decision that declared the segregation of public schools unconstitutional an entire education generation in the south had passed through the public educational system without seeing any significant progress toward equity and equality after the Supreme Court declared segregated public schooling to be unconstitutional. At that time, in 1966, the current pace of progress, progress toward upholding the ideals and values of the Constitution, was less than 1% a year.
0: And so the Department of Education Decided that the process had to be speeded up on the basis of the Civil Rights Bill of 1964. And this department decided to set forth certain basic guidelines yes. that had to be followed. The guidelines stated in substance that the process of integration had to be speeded up that all grades had to be integrated, that even faculties had to be integrated. And this plan, or these guidelines, were submitted to every school district. And that school district had to decide whether it would follow the guidelines. If it refused to follow the guidelines, then federal funds would be cut off. If it complied with the guidelines, then federal funds would be continued. And so today, that is a great discussion all over the educational world in the public school system about whether a school district or a school board will follow the guidelines.
1: Over the last decade, the words diversity and inclusion have become the anchor for advocacy and justice efforts for an emerging generation of scholars, activists, faith communities, and a number of other civic minded and socially conscious movements. Diversity and inclusion are important. They are values that are essential to the growth and development of our world. Culture craves diversity across all facets and within all disciplines because we live in an age where social media, and the power that comes from a newly found global connectedness, has called into question the absence of certain voices. The discussion about diversity must, however, be strongly connected to the disability community. The largest minority group in the world are persons with physical, intellectual, or developmental disabilities. This includes autism. I was diagnosed with autism later in life. I was 36 years old when I sat across from a clinical psychologist and heard the words Asperger's. Or autism spectrum. It was used to describe my lifelong struggle with sensory processing issues, social anxiety, social communication challenges, and a host of other unnamed and unidentified challenges. Learning about neurodiversity and a number of others whose lives were similar to mine gave me a sense of hope until I discovered the glaring lack of diversity within neurodiversity and its community. Just two years following my diagnosis in 2014, I searched for autism conferences where I could go and learn more about myself, and more importantly, to find a community to belong to that would be empathetic to my new discovery. While the results of my Google search returned plenty of options all over the country and even abroad, one glaringly obvious observation began to grieve me. Many of the autism conferences had no keynote speakers that were people of color. And as I spent over three hours combing through event after event and conference after conference, I discovered an overwhelming disparity in the lack of diversity within the neurodiverse community. To be fair, there are many great organizations that are focused on African Americans and other people of color who are impacted by autism. These organizations are doing tremendous work. The problem was that the majority of what many may consider to be the major autism conferences with large budgets and big names self-advocates as keynote speakers lacked diversity. Most of the presenters, parent advocates, experts, and those who make up a living communicating about autism didn't look like me. The little black boy in me frantically searched for faces that looked like mine. Where are the voices of self-advocates who look like me? Where were the keynote speakers and facilitators of workshops and webinars that I could identify with? Without much resolution to my search, it was then that the term invisible disability took on an entirely different meaning for me. It was in that moment that I truly felt invisible. I was never more aware of the color of my skin than when I searched for a home within the autism community. People of color just seemed to be grossly underrepresented when it came to the value of their voices and experiences with autism. Two years ago, statistics showed that African American children were diagnosed with autism sometimes as late as two years later than white children. Another report showed that regressive autism occurred as much as 50% more in black children than in white children. Then, in 2020, it seemed as though the diagnostic disparities between black and white children suddenly closed. African American children were, no, were now receiving services at the same rate as their white counterparts. Unlike with integration of schools, it only took a few short years to make all things equal or did it. 154 have now been identified with autism. Boys are more than four times as likely to be identified with autism as girls. Girls identified with autism were more likely to have an intellectual disability than boys and the first developmental screening by 36 months rose from 74% to 84% among children four years of age. New studies showed that there were significant improvements in autism identification in black children. Hispanic children on the other hand were still identified at lower rates and they were also received evaluations at older ages than white children. And then I ran across a glaringly suspicious statistic, that black and Hispanic children without an intellectual disability may not be identified at the same race as white children. Eight. According to the diagnostic criteria for autism, intellectual disability does not better explain the other criteria set forth for determining autism. In fact, some characteristics may not present in the early developmental period until social demands exceed a child's capacity. In addition, some traits may be masked because of learned coping strategies. So if black and Hispanic children without intellectual disabilities are still not being identified at the same rate as white children, have we really addressed the racial disparities found in the autism community? Intellectual disability does not better explain autistic traits and it is not present in Hispanic and black children then in theory, both Hispanic and black children should be exhibiting the same behavioral traits as white children that identified with autism. Unless those same traits and behaviors are interpreted differently when blacks and Hispanics display them.
0: If the church is true to its guidelines, it heals the brokenhearted. Secondly, when the church is true to its guidelines, it sets out to preach deliverance.
1: What he's about to say next is going to be extremely challenging. So here's what I want you to do as you're listening. Number one, don't take sides. Number two, don't take offense. Number three, use this as an opportunity to take inventory. This king is not the king of speeches, but this king is the king who is a gospel preacher. And if you can push past what he's about to say, you'll find embedded in his message is the reason why justice seems to take so long.
0: To them that are captive. this is the role of the church, to free people. This merely means to free those who are slaves. Now, if you notice, some churches, they never read this part. Some churches aren't concerned about freeing anybody. Some white churches face the fact Sunday after Sunday that their members are slaves to prejudice. Slaves to fear. You got a third of them or a half of them are more slaves to their prejudices. The preacher does nothing to free them from their prejudice so often. Then you have another group sitting up there who would really like to do something about racial injustice, but they are afraid of social, political, and economic reprisals. So they end up silent. And the preacher never says anything to lift their souls and free them from that fear. And so they end up captives. But you know, this often happens in the Negro church. You know, there are some Negro preachers that have never opened their mouths about the freedom movement, and not only have they not opened their mouths, they haven't done anything about it. And every now and then you get a few members. Make it they talk too much about civil rights in that Amen. church. I was talking with a preacher the other day, and he said, his members, uh, a few of his members were saying that. I said, don't pay any attention to them. Because, number one, the members didn't anoint you to preach. And any preacher who allows members to tell him what to preach is much of a preacher. For well, the guidelines made it very clear that God anointed No member of Ebenezer Baptist Church called me to the ministry. You called me to Ebenezer, and you may turn me out of here, but you can't turn me out of the ministry because I got my guidelines and my anointment from God Almighty. And anything I want to say, I'm going to say it from this pulpit. It may hurt somebody. I don't know about that. Somebody may not agree with it. But when God speaks, who can but prophesy? Word of God is upon me like fire shut up in my bones. And when God's word gets upon me, I've got to say it. I've got to tell it all over everywhere. And God has called me to deliver those that are in captivity. Some people are suffering.
2: Some people are hungry this morning. Some people are still
0: living with segregation and discrimination this morning. I'm going to preach about it. I'm going to fight for them. I'll die for them if necessary because I got my guidelines clear and the God that I serve and the God that called me to preach told me that every now and then I'll have to go to jail for them. Every now and then I'll have to agonize and suffer for the freedom of his children. I even may have to die for it, but if that's necessary, I'd rather follow the guidelines of God
2: than to follow the
0: guidelines of men the church is called to set free those that are captive to set free those that are victims of the slavery of segregation and discrimination those who are caught up in the slavery of fear and prejudice
1: the church dr king says is called to set free those that are captive to set free those that are victims of the slavery of segregation and discrimination. Those who are caught up in the slavery of fear and prejudice. You hear what he just said? Remember the segment about autism? Remember that I shared with you that the latest data on diagnostic disparities between Black and Hispanic children was that black and Hispanic children without an intellectual disability are still not diagnosed at the same rates as white children, despite the current data saying that the gap between black children and white children being diagnosed has now closed. Remember that the criteria for diagnosis states that intellectual disability does not better explain autism diagnostic criteria. That simply means that there should be no difference And the observed behavior that makes a child diagnosable. Remember I told you that signs of autism may not present until social demands exceed the child's limited capacity? So if you remove intellectual disability as a marker for measuring autistic traits, then what you should be left with is a purely objective observation of a certain pattern and type of behavior that can be objectively described as autism, right? So why aren't black and Hispanic children being diagnosed at the same rate as white children? So after all, the science suggests that the behaviors are all the same. If signs and symptoms present themselves when social demands exceed the child's capacity, then why are the exact same behaviors displayed in white children interpreted as something completely different when displayed by black and hispanic children as in all of the focus of freeing african americans from slavery and with all of the focus of creating a pathway to citizenship for african americans there's one thing that the civil war the emancipation proclamation and the civil rights movement could not set free We still have slaves in this country. We have people who are slaves to the bias that slavery created. And no matter what black and brown people do, even if their behavior, education, faith, and finances mirror the exact set of beliefs and behaviors as white people, for some their actions will always be interpreted differently. You wanna know the reason why it took 12 years to see 1% progress during the desegregation of schools? It's the same reason why in 2020, black and Hispanic children are not diagnosed with autism at the same rates as white children. Because in all of our fighting for freedom, we have yet to be able to free people who are still slaves to the bias and prejudice that the sin of slavery created. Why justice takes so long is because, as a country, we only ended the slavery of unpaid labor. And we have yet to end the slavery of unbiased living, unbiased laws, and unbiased love. Harriet Tubman once said, I freed a thousand slaves. I could have freed a thousand more if only they knew they were slaves. The speed and pace of justice is not dictated by those who desperately seek it. It is dictated by those who don't realize that they are victims of the sin of slavery because they are slaves to the prejudice and the bias that it created. Until we can free them, justice will continually come slowly. This is Lamar. And you've been listening to the Autism Pastor Podcast.